Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. I had a chance to chat with Karen Kingsbury recently, and she shared about her latest novel, which is centered around a third-generation member of the Baxter family, a book that can be inspiring for Christians in dealing with fear. Also, Vance Day is a former Oregon Circuit Court judge and currently leads the board of the Christian men's movement Promise Keepers. You'll be hearing his comments relative to Christian men walking by faith and standing in truth. Then it's noted researcher George Barna of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, offering a sobering look at what he has found to be an absence of a Christian worldview within the church. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Robert Woodson of the Woodson Center at 1776 Unites. He's someone who has vast experience in applying a Christian worldview to matters of race relations and empowering communities. You'll be hearing some of his perspective. Finally, Kelly Bellari has some insight to share about how Christians can walk in the peace of God and rest in Him, especially among anxiety and turmoil. Some of her comments are ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Karen Kingsbury is a prolific writer who incorporates her love for God and desire to share His truth into the books that she writes. For years, she has written about a fictitious family named the Baxters. One of the Baxter grandchildren is featured in the most recent novel, which deals with matters relative to confronting and overcoming fear. It's called Truly, Madly, Deeply. Here now is Karen Kingsbury. Tommy Baxter's now 18. He um, has this moment of going back to ground zero on the anniversary of 9-11, where his grandfather on his mother's side uh, was killed. He was in one of the Twin Towers doing business when the attacks happened. So he goes back and revisits this and kind of wants to know about this grandfather he never met. And in the process, decides that he wants to become a police officer. And this is something that rocks his family's life and, and world because his dad, who's Luke Baxter, Luke Baxter is like, okay, well, let's get you set up on some ride-alongs and let's see if you really want to do this. But his mom is terrified. Hmm. And so if this is a story, you know, it's, it's a love story because Tommy's in love for the first time with a, a beautiful young, um, you know, senior in high school as well. She's 18 also. And she gets a diagnosis of cancer. So you've got two different huge events happening that, that both begin this like uh, tsunami of fear in the families and in Luke's life and in Reagan's life and then in Tommy's life. And how do we navigate fear? Of course, I hmm. wrote this book a year ago and there really wasn't much to be afraid of. Oh, wow. But now it's a book that, you know, talks about police work and at a time uh, when fear is just the norm and rules the day. So it's a beautiful journey in how to go from fear to faith. We talked just a bit about Tommy and his ambition to be a, a police officer. His dad, Luke Baxter, is okay with it. His mom, Reagan, is not. So how do those dynamics, without giving too much away, kind of play out in this overall novel? Well, it takes a real toll on their marriage, which, you know, I think that's a pretty normal thing that when parents don't agree about what's not, you know, coming up for the kids. And when, when Luke sets up the ride-alongs, so that, you know, here, let me introduce you to the police captain and let's get you some ride-alongs. You know, that's like Reagan can't believe it. It's like, how could you encourage, you know, our son to do something that could destroy him and it's so hard for him? And so they have to work that out. And I think it's a very healthy thing to watch a couple who's fictitious 
go through a very difficult season in marriage and figure out a way to navigate that because we go through those, you know, in our marriages as well. And it's important to know how to have those communications and how to expect the best of the people that we love. Well, Karen, there is the element of romance to which you referred earlier in this book, and it has to do with Tommy Baxter and a young lady by the name of Anna Lee Miller. And there is a health diagnosis that she encounters. Obviously, it's something that, to borrow a phrase you used earlier, rocks their world. And there really are some questions, as I understand it, that you explore in this novel relative to trust in God and their view of God during this time of struggle. Share with us just a bit about how you kind of wanted that to play out. Yeah, you know, it, again, you know, we sometimes people will think, well, if I'm a Christian, everything will go right. You know, from that day on, it'll be heaven on earth. I'll never have a problem. And Jesus actually said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's what we get to see. Tommy's young. He's 18. Is His girlfriend loves God. She's uh, She and her family work in ministry. And it just seems unfathomable to Tommy that this would be the this would be the girl that would get cancer. This is the, it just, it, it, it's like, how could God let that happen? Why would he let it happen? Um, one of the officers he becomes friends with ends up getting shot in this book uh, and struggling and fighting for his life. And these things kind of take Tommy from a place of just real easy faith to really having to examine, do I believe in God that would allow this to happen? Do I believe in him? And, and having to push through and go, yeah, you know what? God is not the reason for the bad things that happen on earth. This is earth, but he is the rescue. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing to watch Tommy go through that. Karen Kingsbury here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting her website, karenkingsbury.com. Next up, it's the president of Promise Keepers, Vance Day, who shared an update on the activities of the Christian men's movement, including the virtual conference in the summer of 2020 and an October emphasis on racial reconciliation. In our conversation, he also related information about his religious liberty challenges as an Oregon Circuit Court judge. Here now from that conversation is Vance Day. Promise Keepers, you know, is coming back to the stadium. You know, again, July 16th and 17th in Arlington, Texas. That's in the heart of Dallas-Fort Worth. We will have 80,000 guys there. So anybody who's interested just needs to go to promisekeepers.org promisekeepers.org, click on the event, buy your ticket, because they're going to be gone. Now, we'll simulcast it all over the globe, but there's nothing like being in a stadium mm. with 80,000 guys singing Amazing Grace together. It's nothing like Awesome. It. That is awesome. Vance Day joining us today. Got to ask you this here as we conclude. The season at, that we find ourselves in next week is designated as Election Day. Of course, you have so many throughout our nation that have already been to the polls. You have all sorts of options. Of course, here at Faith Radio, we encourage you to pray, make an informed choice as you cast your ballot. We've come off this, not only are we're at the end of an election season, we're also coming off office season where you had a Supreme Court justice nominee who endured quite a bit of scrutiny and misrepresentation with respect to her faith. We remember what happened when she went before the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, during her confirmation hearings as an appeals court judge, and you had many that actually took her to task. They were were. Uh, 
were saying that uh, that she would try to impose her religion as far as her judicial rulings and and things of that sort. So what do you see, and just kind of blending together what you did in a previous life as far as being a judge and what you're currently doing with Promise Keepers, where should Christian men and Christians in general be with respect to this whole area of, as we might say, politics. And sometimes the politics has been redefined as being any time that we take a, a stand with respect to some of these incredible issues that we're facing our country. Well, we're saying, well, we're involved. Our people say, well, Christians are being involved in politics. And you have some to say Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. So how do you boil it down? Well, we're, we're, we're in the world, but not of the world. And we need to be salt and light to the world. If we if we step out of our culture as Christians, then the culture will turn against us and, and as it already has, because we have stepped out of the culture for many. We've gone and retreated into our houses of worship. And at some point soon, I believe, the government will say, well, you can worship in those four walls, but do not dare bring it outside. So you have to be, you know, in my opinion, we have to touch the culture in the name of Jesus Christ. So that means Christians, one, do not give up your birthright. Do not sell it. Vote. You need to be registered and you need to vote. That's not a political issue. That's a stewardship mm. issue. You have well no said. right, no right to complain about the government if you didn't vote. So don't dare go down that line. Number two, God's given you gifts and abilities. You can help your local community by running for the water board or being involved in whatever area of public service. Do it. Get on the school board. Be wise. Be gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. And number three, be like the sons of Issachar who looked at the seasons, who looked at the sky and could figure out what's happening. We're not heading toward you know, a happy time for Christians. It's going to get rough get ready. And so understand that, that this is a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. We don't need to be against people, but we need to recognize what's happening and get prepared, toughen up. So I encourage all believers to get involved in the cultural political process. It doesn't mean about parties. That's not about it. What we saw happen to Amy Coney Barrett was disgusting, in my opinion, because if you politicize the judiciary, that third branch of our constitutional republic, which must remain neutral. If you make it political, like the Democrats were trying to do, or, or pack the court, God forbid, forbid, I mean, that destroys the beautiful tapestry of how we have checks and balances. And if that's going to happen, well, then you can say say la vie to uh, what what we've enjoyed in this in this area of liberties, and so please become educated. Make sure you're registered, and cast your ballot according to biblical principles. Vance Day here on the intersection. The Promise Keepers website is promisekeepers.org. Next, it's the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, George Barna who discussed some of his latest survey data, primarily devoted to how prevalent a biblical worldview is among professing Christians. From that conversation, here now is George Barna. 
we talk quite a bit with respect to evangelicals. And something that just really stuck out to me, it's one of the lead findings, I think, of this overall survey, is that over half of evangelicals in this worldview inventory reject absolute moral truth. And there are other areas where you are seeing really a a decline, if you will, or a, a level of faithfulness or lack thereof that you might not necessarily expect out of evangelicals, really any of these faith groups, but specifically with respect to evangelicals and rejecting absolute moral truth. Well, this is an understatement, but that's a problem. I mean, for me, it's kind of mind-blowing, because when you look at the definition of what an evangelical is, it's someone who believes that the Bible is God's truth, that it's supposed to be applied to all areas, all dimensions of our life, and that you are called to be Christ-like, and of course you can't do that unless you know who Christ is, and you're willing to believe the things he believed and do the things he did. But what we're finding in this research is that that is no longer really an accurate portrayal of the people who attend what would be thought of as evangelical churches. Because you've got, as you mentioned, 52%, a majority of them, who say, well, there's no such thing as absolute moral truth, which again is tantamount to saying, well, the Bible's not trustworthy. You can pick and choose the things out of it that feel good or make sense to you, or that you like, or that make you feel comfortable, but you don't buy it lock, stock, and barrel. And then we find that this is a group also that says that, you know, my salvation is dependent upon what Christ did for me on the cross, but if you don't like that, you can just try to be a good person and earn your salvation. You've got half of evangelicals who believe that a person who's good enough or does enough good works while they're here on earth can earn their eternal salvation. And you've got six out of ten of the people who attend these churches who believe that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol. So basically they're they're blowing up the idea of the Trinity, the triune God. So, you know, we can go down through all these different things, but ultimately it comes out in our behavior. We had another section in the survey where we looked at behavior, and we find that evangelicals, you know, large, large proportions of them believe that life is not sacred, believe that the Bible doesn't necessarily give you any guidance about matters such as abortion. So abortion could be acceptable to you as an evangelical, that lying in certain circumstances is morally acceptable, that not paying back loans. I mean, all of these different things that we tested, we found that, you know, evangelicals are buying into the culture. And so it's sad when you're in a day and age where the culture influences the church more than the church is influencing the culture. So what do you see as the way forward or maybe better put the way back to a more devoted rendering of Scripture? Well, I think at some point, if the church is going to continue to exist, if America as we've known it is going to continue to exist, we will have to go back to recognizing that God is in control, God is the only one who knows what's best for us. He's told us that, and if we're willing to follow the guidelines he's given us, 
we're going to be better off. But in order to get there, people have to begin thinking biblically so that they can behave biblically. We do what we believe. So our beliefs are going to determine our actions. So we've got to start working on the beliefs of young people because a worldview is developed starting at 15 to 18 months of age and is almost fully developed by the age of 13. So we've got to re-examine that process by which we are developing the worldview of our children. Are we allowing the culture to develop it by default, or do we want parents and the church to be developing it intentionally? If so, then we've got to become a lot more strategic and a lot more focused in terms of the principles that we're teaching to our children, how we're holding them accountable for those principles, and how we're modeling those very same principles for our children. George Barna here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website culturalresearchcenter.com. This is The Intersection, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There's a link to the podcast in the Media Center. Also, you can find it on iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. That is updated weekly. Also, there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Look for the Faith Radio podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The intersection continues now with the founder of the Woodson Center and founder and president of 1776 Unites, Robert Woodson. In a recent conversation, he discussed the purpose and background of 1776 Unites, his biblical approach to race relations, and practical solutions in areas concerning race. Here now from that conversation is Robert Woodson. Well, in uh, 2019, the New York Times published a a series of essays in its Sunday edition called 1619, and it was really a series of of essays and columns published uh, by Nicole Hannah-Jones, who worked for them, and it really tried to redefine American history, and their claim was 1619 should be the, the, the birth date of America, and dating back from the time when the first 20 African slaves arrived on the shores uh, of the country. And it goes on to, to make the claim that as a consequence, America is a slave plutocracy and that capitalism and all of the uh, accomplishments were done uh, on the backs of slavery, and even that the Revolutionary War was fought to preserve slavery. Of course, that's ridiculous. And so their conclusion is that as a consequence of the founders, uh, uh, half of them were slave owners, and therefore this Declaration of Independence that they, that they, that they framed was invalid, and that all whites are, 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 are complicit and therefore should be punished through reparations, and all blacks are victims to be compensated. 
And so this ridiculous notion took root. The Pulitzer, she won a Pulitzer Prize for her lead essay. The Pulitzer Association said, published it in, in, S, in, in curriculum, distributed to schools in all 50 states. And so we responded by bringing together 23 black scholars and others since they were using the rich legacy of the civil rights movement as an instrument to really destroy this country, we think that the messenger should be black as well. So we came together to uh, inform what we call 1776. We've also issued um, essays supporting America's values and claiming and supporting the notion that our birthday really is 1776 and that the country should never be defined by its birth defect of slavery, but by the promise that are enshrined in the Declaration of Independence. And it's being met with enthusiasm all over the country. You are someone I know to be a, a Christian, a Christian leader. Tell me about how your faith really has impacted or or really informed the way that you see these matters with respect to race relations. Well, because uh, one of my, and the books that I, I wrote that, that has defined my organization is The Triumphs of Joseph. And I use Joseph from the, of Genesis as a metaphor for what the challenges we face today. Joseph, as you know, was maligned and mistreated, uh, and, but he maintained his faith in God, never succumbed to bitterness, and he was faithful to his God even through all the years and trials and tribulations and injustice, uh, he was faithful uh, to God. And so when Pharaoh looked for someone, he, he partnered with Joseph uh, because, and as a consequence, the, the two of them partnered to save the, the country, the, the, the world as it was known in those times. And so, uh, I, I, I use that as a metaphor for, for explaining that, if, that God, God only uses broken people. And his work is all around us. And in the, the black community, it was really faith in God and belief in Christ that enabled us to sustain ourselves in a time of slavery and racial discrimination uh, and so I, I have seen God's work in action uh, so that my faith is based upon seeing, actually witnessing um, his great work in action. Robert Woodson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website 1776unites.com. The Woodson Center website is woodsoncenter.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Kelly Bellari who has some insight to share about how Christians can walk in the peace of God and rest in Him, especially among anxiety and turmoil. She's written a book called Rest Now, Seven Ways to Say No, Set Boundaries, and Seize Joy. Here now is Kelly Bellari. I actually grew up in a large family. I was the oldest of six kids, and so growing up, I did everything to help out. You know, I babysat, and I looked out for my siblings and really became this super over-responsible uh, kind of second mother there. So I learned all about being more and doing more and handling things. And so I really had this do mentality down. And then later in life, as I got to know Jesus, I was like, oh, Lord, I want to abide with you and, 
stick with you. So I said, forget it. I'm just going to ditch all this doing and just be really great at being. And so I just sit in the house and pray. And, and yet I realized that there was this middle ground of rest and it wasn't doing nothing and it wasn't being everything. And so it was this very narrow road of being with God and also doing with God that, that the Lord wanted to take me on a journey down through the book rest now. And he really, uh, through seven ways, the ways of Christ, that help us to live out real rest in the practical application of life. Well, and there's a concept, as I understand it, that you explore in the book, because I'm, I'm, I want to kind of give a little background here. as something really attracts my attention, even in the subtitle, and that is saying no. And I think there are probably more than a few people that have difficulty with that. And that ability to do that actually comes from being, as I understand it, what you call a wholehearted person. So if you would kind of paint a picture for us, when we talk about a wholehearted person, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a really great question, Bob, because when we try to do everything and be everything for everyone, we end up losing hold of who God created us to be and who he really is. You know, just think about it. If you went into a big crowded room and said, okay, ask me anybody here for whatever you need. And people are saying, can I have water? I need your pen, this, that, you know, (laughs) you can't juggle every request from everyone all the time. You end up becoming a frazzled mess. And that's how a lot of us are living. We're just trying to handle all the requests coming at us, the phone, you know, the projects, the emails, the request to do this project and to help your kid with that. And the reality is, We were not created to please everyone, but to please the Lord. And what is it that he has for us to do? And and that's really becoming wholehearted because the more we're able to say no to the lesser things, the more able we are to give our whole heart to the God things that he's really created and designed us for. And Kelly, I would imagine that there is a certain skill set necessary in order to say no it's it's something again if we're living wholeheartedly i think of that scripture verse about loving the lord our god with our entire heart soul mind and strength so really operating from that place so when we talk about having the 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 skill the tact the the boldness the courage even to be able to say no to the demands that are upon us and the people who are making those demands how would you respond to a question such as, well, what sort of what sort of skills, what sort of tips can you offer to us? You know, I really love Psalm 16:8 in the message translation. It says, "Day and night I'll stick with God. I've got a good <laughs> thing going and I'm not letting go." And I think the key here is to to ask yourself, okay, is God calling me to do this? Is it going to preserve peace and love, or am I going to turn into a, a stress case or get passive aggressive or take it out on someone as a result? If you're actually going to go and do those latter items, right, getting frustrated, stressed, overwhelmed, enmeshed in someone's problem, that's actually not even pure love. So the reality is there's wisdom saying, you know what, no to that, but yes to sticking with God. And you know what? I'm going to exist through the awkwardness of that person's response because I'm choosing the best treasure, which is God and Jesus. And then when he sends me out, I can love wholeheartedly with a pure heart, 
with true love rather than obligation. Kelly Bellari here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting her website, PurposefulFaith.com. Well, we are coming to the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, the website is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. There's a link to the podcast in the Media Center. Also, you can find it in iTunes. Plus, Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, the website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.